Please stand for the reading of today's scripture. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. You may be seated. Nobody get nervous when I'm preaching on circumcision today. <laughs> yeah, you were thinking it. You were thinking it. Man, what an amazing, amazing moment we're standing in, and um, just, just so many emotions to, to, to even begin to, um, if I start crying today, it may be the Holy Spirit, but it's also just of a lot of emotion, okay, because um, God is good, God is good. Um, so next week, next week, we're going to start a new series of messages going through the Gospels. It'll take us all the way to Easter, okay? Um, and it'll be kind of more how we typically preach and teach and, and do a series um, about Jesus. But I, I didn't want to start that today. I thought a lot about it, how we wanted to kind of spend today together. And instead, what I want to do is I want to just share a couple of things from my heart today. I mean, it kind of goes together. Some of it goes together, some of it doesn't. But just I want to just try to share my heart as your fellow Christian brother and as your pastor, I just want to share my heart with you and just kind of tell you some things that have been um, kind of weighing down on me, good and bad, and, and just kind of maybe set the course a little bit for the future of our church. But before I do that, I forgot to say this, we're out of space, which is a great problem to have. So, and, and I know there's a lot of you from Hope City, you're like, what is this long wooden thing I'm sitting on? That is a pew and... Um, they're amazing. So, but, but you can kind of, you know, spread out and get a little comfort there. I used to sleep on pews like this all the time in church. And, uh, and so, but if you could squeeze in, if you see somebody looking for a seat, just wave one of our ushers down and, uh, and that would help us out. Um, because it's a great problem to have, but I forgot to say that. Okay. So I said it at the beginning of the, of the service, but, but today is kind of the official, the official official joining together of, of two churches, of two church congregations. It technically happened two weeks ago, but we wanted to take two weeks to be able to come in and get a few things uh, situated here in the buildings for specifically for our kids' ministry. Um, but today is the, the first day together as two church families in our new church home. And I really want to emphasize that word, our, O-U-R. Everybody say our. I want to emphasize that word our because I don't know how you say it, but that's how I say it. Our, our, I didn't think about that before I asked you to say it. Our, you know, minutes and hours. Um, but I want to emphasize, now I'm going to think about it every time I say it. I want to emphasize. I want to emphasize that word our because we are, we are one church 
family. That is, that is what is true. What is also true is that it's going to take some time to feel that way. Just because it's happening officially doesn't mean that everyone is totally like at peace with everything and feeling great about, about everything. And so I think because of that, in this transitional season that we're in, I think, it, I think language is so important. Language is so important. And for those of us from Hope City originally, it's not their building, it's not those people, it's our building, it's us, okay? And then for for those who are originally from Harvest, it's not what y'all are doing or what they are changing, it's what we are doing and what we are changing and it was so great this week. We had so many volunteers over the last two weeks uh, come and help paint and all of those things. And uh, I won't embarrass them and call them by name, but there were a few people who were helping us who were originally from Harvest. And they would emphasize that word because they were trying to teach themselves and kind of retrain their language. They would say, you know, I love what y'all have done. I love what we've done with the building. And I love that. But I want you to know that when, when you see us post something on social media and it says our, we're talking about you. We're talking about us. We're not talking about, you know, we're not leaving you out. When we say our, we mean us. When we say our building, when we say our church family, when we say we're looking forward to what God's going to do in our church, we are talking about, about you. We are all Hope City Church now. We're all Hope City Church now. And listen, I'm not, I'm not a dummy. I know that that's gonna take time to get used to and it's gonna take time on both sides, but we are especially uh, understanding and compassionate to those of you who are coming from Harvest that that's gonna take some time to get used to. I totally, I totally understand that, okay? But I want us to change our language together. Let's change our mentality together. Let's be unified together. Let's encourage one another and support one another. Let's get to know one another. One of the great things about moving into a new sanctuary is that you lost your seats. You lost your reserved seating, you know? And, uh, and Jesse asked me today, she said, where do you wanna sit? You know, we normally sit on the right side. I said, we're going to the left side, come on. We're just switching it up. I feel like I'm sleeping on the other side of the mattress. My neck's hurting, and, but we're just, we're switching it up. But I really, we're gonna talk about this a lot. I don't think we can talk about it enough. We are one church family. I know Hope City is bringing more people to the table. I know Harvest is bringing the facility to the table. And if we're not careful, we can be territorial about things. But listen, we wanna put all that to the side. We're believing that God is going to use this church in the south end of Louisville, there are some great churches in this side of town. We love them. We partner with them. But we believe God has something special for this church too. And, uh, and we want to do it together. So, so let's make a commitment. Come on, we're going to change our mentality together. We're going to change our language together. We're going to be unified together. We're going to support one another. We're going to get to know one another. It reminds me of the story I heard the other day about the, uh, the couple that was struggling a little bit. So they went, to, they went to counseling. They went to see a marriage counselor. And the, the counselor you know, said to him, said, you, you have got 
it's so important. You've got to get to know one another. I mean, you've really got to know each other, which is great advice. And, and he looked at the husband and he said, for example, do you know what your wife's favorite flower is? And the husband's eyes get big. He's getting nervous, you know, and he thinks about it. And he's, he's sweating profusely, you know, and he, he's unsure. Finally, he looks at the counselor, like uh, kind of unsure, and he says, uh, Pillsbury? I, I don't know. Uh, that's not funny. That's not funny. Andrea gave me that joke. That's not even, that's not funny. Some of y'all get that in like three minutes, but. Uh, so today, so today I, I um, for this first Sunday together in our new church building, our new church building, I wanna share a few things that I think are really important on this journey together, okay? And um, what I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about dichotomies, dichotomies. And more specifically, I wanna talk about dumb dichotomies, dumb dichotomies. So let me start by defining what a dichotomy is. A dicho- thank you, somebody said thank you. A dichotomy, <laughs> a dichotomy is just a contrast between two ideas that are opposed to one another. So it's like war and peace, light and darkness. Um, you know, these, these, are, these are things that, are directly opposed to one another. Love and hate, black and white, they're opposites. And to be sure, there are certain things in life that cannot coexist. If you have war, then by definition, you do not have peace. And if you have light, then by definition, you do not have darkness and so on. But we live in a culture right now that takes everything and makes it a dichotomy. We're being torn apart. I heard somebody say the other day that social media has done to us what our parents told us video games was going to do to us. And, and everything is pulling us apart. And so there's, there's no nuance. There's no difference. There's no disagreement. You cannot coexist. There's no middle ground. And this is where we find dumb dichotomies. I guess the technical definition would be false dichotomies. Or the technical word would be false, but we're going to call them dumb dichotomies today. A dumb dichotomy definition is just when one truth is positioned against another truth, causing you to think that you have to choose either or when you can actually have both. So we're going to call this a dumb dichotomy. When one truth is positioned against another truth, causing you to think you have to choose either or when you actually can have both. You're either conservative or liberal, they say. That's a dumb dichotomy. You either believe in science or you don't. That's a dumb dichotomy. You're either generous or you're greedy. You can either root for Louisville or Kentucky. Bad example. There, it's not an accident. It's actually marketing 101. If you go to a class or, or take a course on marketing, they will say you have to create a problem and then you have to be the solution to that problem. That's how you position your product. As you say, here's the problem, I am the solution. And the easiest thing to make a problem is a person or an idea. And, and, and so marketers and politicians and news channels want you to believe that it's either or. Everything in life, it's either or, but it's not. And in psychology, they call this false choice. It's when, you, it's when your brain makes you think that you have to pick a side so that you can resolve the tension that you feel, the, the, the uncertainty that you feel. And middle ground is incredibly scary. 
just so you know. If you ever decide that you wanna be a person who's not either or, that you're not gonna get boxed into one side or the other, you're gonna be on the middle ground, and the middle ground is incredibly scary. It's incredibly uncertain. And so what happens is your brain pressures you to pick a side just so you can resolve the tension that you feel. Because when you're in the middle, there's tension. And you think, man, I would, I would just feel so much better if I would just pick a side, right? And unfortunately, this is true in churches too, that we take ideas or philosophies or beliefs and we put them against each other. Christians love to pick sides, don't we? I mean, Christians, we love us a good side to pick and we all do it, we all do it. And of course, there are absolute truths to the Christian faith. I mean, if you have been around or heard me preach for long at all, you know that we're gonna spend time talking about these absolute truths there are absolute truths in the Christian faith. I'll give you just a few of them. God is the only God. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus was God as a human. He was sinless. He was killed, but he rose from the dead. If we put our faith in what Jesus did, we're saved and can have a relationship with God. We can't wiggle around that. There's no middle ground on that. That is, that is absolutely the, the Christian orthodoxy. And by the way, you don't have to agree with that and you don't have to believe that but that is what it means to be a Christian. That's what Christian, those are the core Christian beliefs. So I'm, we're not saying you have to just take our side. We're saying that you can believe anything you want to believe, but historically over the last thousands of, thousands of years, to be a Christian means to hold a few absolute true beliefs. And, and I mean, that's just four. It's not that many. But we can't, we can't wiggle around that. But that's not what we pick sides about. Right? We pick sides about movies and music and tattoos and clothes and books and celebrities and TV shows, even TV shows that are about Jesus. People pick sides, you know? And we do it with such strong passion and conviction. We get angry. We raise our voice. We throw away relationships. We call people names and we do it all in the name of God. We do it all in the name of truth. But the older I get, you know what I'm realizing? I'm realizing that most of my convictions are really just my comforts. Most of the things that I used to swear were hills, hills that I should die on because they are convictions, they're really just the things I'm comfortable with. And, and I assume that God agrees with me on all the things that just happen to fit perfectly into my life and require everyone else to change, but not me. So all the things that God wants you to know are inconvenient for you and require you to make drastic changes, but it just so happens that me and God, we're good. We happen to agree on most of all the things. And um, most of the things that we passionately defend are really about how we are raised or what fits our personality or the last thing we read or we watched, or, or we have an opinion based on a good or bad experience. A lot of you in the room, you have strong, what you would call convictions about churches because of one person at one church who gave you a good or bad experience, and you have built your whole theology and belief system about church based on that one experience. And you say it's a conviction, and it's true. It's really just what you're comfortable with. And the reason I'm telling you all of this is because this is the beginning of something new for our church. 
And I know that many of you are a little bit anxious about the future. You've told me. It's one of the things I've loved is we've been able to be honest with each other about, about the future. And you've told me that, you know, you have some concerns. You're a little bit anxious. And you're, you're worried that Hope City is either going to be one way or another. Well, I don't know if I'm going to like it because this means we're going to be. And I like that we were this. Either or. A dumb dichotomy. And I know that some of you who are coming from Harvest, you have people in your ear telling you that we are this and we are not that. But you don't have to pick a side. And so I thought for this first Sunday together in our new building, we would just bust some dumb dichotomies. Some dumb dichotomies, okay? And I love this verse that that we read today. At the very end in verse five, there's that word and, and. It says the church was strengthened in their faith and, everybody say and. We all say that the same way. And the church was strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Grew larger every day. The church in Acts was a big church. Thousands of people getting saved. But it was a very personal church focused on serious spiritual things. It wasn't an either or church. It was a both and church. We are a growing church and everybody we meet has somebody they connect to and they're in homes together and we're sharing together. We're big and, and, and we're growing in our, our faith. And most of us, we have different ideas about, you know, you're either this or you're that, depending on the size or whatever, and we'll get to that. But that's what I love about these verses. This verse is that the church of Acts was an and church, not an or church. And I want that for us. So let me give you five of them for the time I've got today. I want to I wanna just give you five dumb dichotomies that I want you to stay away from picking a side And I'll give them to you one at a time, one at a time. But the first one is that at Hope City Church, we can be big and small. We can be big and small. I have a 14-year-old, 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And it is just, it's always happening at the house. Last night they were playing indoor soccer in the basement. And so, you know, it's just, it's always happening. And can I tell you that, like, I love my kids exactly how they are right now. I love their ages. I love their attitudes most of the time. I love, like, we're just in a good season as a family. But when we woke up today, they were one day older than they were yesterday. Now, a year from now, we'll celebrate that they got older, but the truth is they got older today. And they'll get older tomorrow. Matter of fact, they just got one second older They are growing. They are growing. But I don't look at them as they are growing and say, no, I don't like that anymore. You got to go back to that. Because I know that in the next season, we're going to like that season too. And maybe this season will have challenges, but then we're going to like this season. And there are certain benefits. At some point, maybe there's going to be some grandkids on the table, and we're going to like that season 
And so we don't throw out the love of our family because of liking a certain season. And I think the reason I say that is because all of us in this room have certain ideas about what a big church is and what a small church is. And I hate to burst your bubble, but technically, if you're coming from Hope City, we were already a big church a long time ago. The average size of a church in the United States of America is less than 73 people. And we were already way well past that, like triple that. So you were already in a big church. But we have these ideas about what a big church is and what a small church is. And I want to go ahead and just be very upfront with you. I don't want anybody to feel like you were not told the truth. We want to reach as many people as possible. We're not going to apologize for that. And I said this to you two weeks ago, and it sounds a little more confrontational than I mean it. I don't mean it confrontational. But if we're not careful, when we say, I don't want the church to grow, what we mean is, I want the church to keep growing long enough to reach me, but then I want the church to stop. Nobody wants to do that. And so whenever the major renovation is done sometime in the next year or two, we hope to have 500 seats in this room, which I don't know what we have right now, but close to 400 with everybody on the wall and stuff. We hope to have 500 seats in this room, and we want to fill it up a couple times every weekend. Because... Because, because every number is a person. Every person is a name. Every name is a soul. It's a family. And I get it. People have fears of being lost in the crowd. I get that. But that's why we have to be big and small. But the only way that we can be big and small is if you decide to connect. We've got ways for you to connect. We have these misconceptions. I like a small church because I know everybody. You don't know everybody. You don't. I, I walk around before service, you know, and I'll shake somebody's hand, and the staff always gets on to me because I just accidentally always say, oh, is this your first time here? And they're like, I've been coming six months. I'm like, whoops. Uh, well, it's nice to meet you. And they're like, oh, we've met four times. I'm like, my bad. Um, well, you don't know everybody, but you have some comforts. You have some comforts. And so your convictions about size of church is really just your comforts. And that's okay. Big isn't always bad and small isn't always good. Some of the unhealthiest, most toxic churches in, the, in America are really, really small. And some of the healthiest churches in America are really, really big. And so let's don't get stuck in that dichotomy I don't want it to be too big. I don't want it to be too small. If we're big, that means this. If we're small, that means this. Don't, don't pick a side. Let's live in the tension of we want to reach as many people as possible, but we also want to connect and get to know and love and disciple as many people as possible. Are you with me on that? All right, we want to be big and small. All right, let me give you another one. This is going to be a little bit offensive, sorry. We want to be young and old. We want to be young and old. And when I say old, I'm talking about some of you guys. <laughs> and I'm getting there. I got time, you know. But we want to be young and old. And when I started pastoring Hope City Church almost 15 years ago, I was 24 years old. And I don't know why they let me do that. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was more cocky than I was certified and, and credible. But when I was 24, the church looked a lot like my family. 
you know, John Maxwell, different gurus will say that your, that your church is 10 years younger and older than the age of your pastor, usually. The demographic is 10. And that's, that's held true for Hope City Church, really. And so when I was 24, we just had a lot of 14 to 34-year-olds, you know. And we would have people say, like, I'm, I'm too old for this church. And they were like 41 or something, you know. Like, <laughs> you're not that old, I promise. Um, 15 years later, I'm almost 40, and the church is looking a lot like my family. Our student section over here, where we at, students? We've got a student ministry now that's growing. They had almost 50 kids last Sunday night. Which are they having a Super Bowl party tonight? Is that happening at the church? If you have a teenager and you want them to be out of the house while you celebrate the Super Bowl, take them to the student <laughs> Super Bowl party at the other place. Thank you, 7515 at, the other, at our other church. Um. And so we, 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 have, we have a student ministry and, and we've got different age groups across our church. And listen to me, you will never accidentally reach multiple generations. You have to be intentional. I asked Steve to help me and Brad to help me. And is Rayleigh in here or is she helping? Come here, Rayleigh. Where's Brad at? Come here, Brad. All right, y'all come on up here. I was thinking before service, there's like six or seven families that have three generations here. We could have called them up, but I knew Rayleigh would be in here. So I was like, hey, we can do this one. This is the Ryan slash Ellis family. And this represents, yeah, you can clap for them. That's all right. This represents three generations of one family who are a part of Hope City Church. What? What? Brad, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I forgot about that. We have four generations, yeah. And so the reason I bring them up here is I want you to know that this doesn't happen on accident. It happens because people like Steve decide that what's most important to them is that their children come to church with them. And then they start having kids. And one of the great joys of, of being a pastor, it stays at a church for a long time, is you marry people and then you dedicate their children and those types of things. But I want you to just have this picture in your mind that this is one family over three generations uh, of a church. You guys can be seated. Let's give them one more hand. But listen, we gotta be honest about something, okay? In order to reach a younger generation, it requires the older generations to make sacrifices and to give up preferences. And I don't think I fully appreciated that 15 years ago. And I'm not saying I've had to give up a lot now, but I am more and more, even as a, with a 14-year-old daughter, as we're talking about things for the church and different things like that, I'm realizing that like, if, if we wanna reach her and her friends and eventually her kids, then, then some of my ideas got to go away <laughs> So that, that there's can. The last Barner research says that 94% of people make their decision to follow Jesus before 18 years old. 94% of people make the decision to follow Jesus before 18 years old. And this is why, this is why we wanna invest and do everything that we can to reach the younger generation. Amen. We wanna do that. And, and, I'm using the context of, of, of previous Hope City Church here for a second 
because that's what I know. I can't speak to harvest because I, I don't know that as well. But going back to the previous context of the former Hope City Church, it's one of the things that I love so much about our congregation is that you know, we, we baptized 77 people in December and we were seeing multiple generation. And it's because there is a generation of people who give and who serve and who show up. And I'm not an idiot. They don't like everything that we do. But what they love is sitting on the same row with their children and their grandchildren. And, and so we, we want to be young and old. But it requires those of us who are older to, to give way, and it requires those of us who are younger to honor and to respect the wisdom and the life of those who are above us. All right, so that's, that's the second one, okay? We wanna, be, we wanna be young and old. We wanna be big and small. Let me give you a third one. We wanna be black and white Amen. and other things. We wanna be black and white. Everybody look around the room right now. For the most part, we are predominantly one skin color, one dominant skin color. And this didn't happen on purpose. There was no meeting that we sat down and said, how could we be a predominantly white church? It happens because environments feel certain ways and invites go certain ways and certain, you know, things happen that make certain people feel more comfortable than other people. I asked Garnet if he would come up here and help me. And Karen, if you wouldn't mind, if you'd come up here and help me. And let me get, let me get one of us. Harley, come on up here and help me. I love it, Pastor's kid. She's like, I'll do it. And there, I'm sure there are other nationalities and ethnicities in here. But just representing the fact that at, at Hope City, listen, I have no idea what it feels like to be a black man. I have no idea what it feels like to be a Puerto Rican woman. I don't know what it feels like to be a white teenage girl. <laughs> I just realized that. That went somewhere I wasn't going. But here, here's the deal. In order for us to make some type of change, and we're not talking about 33, 33, 33. We understand that that's, we're not talking about some idealistic scenario. We're talking about creating a place where you feel comfortable regardless of the color of your skin or where you come from. Because of the gospel, the gospel message means that I have more in common with Garnet than I do even a relative or some, my neighbor who has the same number of kids and the same number of pets. And the same, I have more in common with a brother in Christ, regardless of their skin color or where they come from, than I do somebody who's exactly like me if that person doesn't know Jesus. Because it's Jesus that bonds us together, not all of the things that that culture says should bond us together. That doesn't mean we don't see color. It's like, oh, well, we're brothers and sisters of Christ. We don't see color. That's ridiculous. We do see color. This carpet's green. Do you see it? It doesn't mean we don't see color. We see color. It just means that we can't be a white church that black people come to or a white church that Hispanic people come to We've got to be a diverse church that at a minimum, and we're going to try to figure out how to do this better, but at a minimum, we've got to treat people with dignity and love and kindness. You guys, thank you. You guys give them a hand. They can be seated. (laughs) 
And listen, it's easy to clap and it's easy to be like, yes, that's right. But, we, but this is something that we are going to have to grow in as a church. Let's don't get stuck in a dichotomy. Let's don't get stuck saying it's either this or that, okay? So that's the third one. We want to be black and white. We want to be young and old. We want to be big and small. Let me give you a fourth one. We want to be spirit-filled and smart, which that's probably not the best way to say it now that I say it out loud, but <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal preacher's kid, so I'm not dogging on spirit-filled. I, I am a spirit-led, spirit-filled person. But I think sometimes, and some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just put your fingers in your ears right now, okay? But the rest of us that come from more charismatic, spirit-filled types of places, if we're not careful, the more full of the spirit we are, the sillier we get. And it's not because the Holy Spirit's weird, it's because people are weird. That's always important to remember. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. And they're filled with the Spirit. I got to be careful on this one. Um, <laughs> intelligence without the Spirit is just dry and you so easily become judgmental and legalistic. Okay? But the Spirit without intelligence is just superstition. Everything is like a connecting dots to try to figure out, you know, whatever God's doing or saying. And I love in Acts after, you know, Judas betrays Christ. Judas is gone. They've got to replace him. And they are finding the, the, a 12th disciple to replace Judas. And it describes the guy that they replaced him. They, they, they described him as full of the spirit. Here's a dumb, no dichotomy. Full of the spirit and wisdom. That's how they describe. Was it Matthias? I just, I forgot. But anyway, yeah. So full of the spirit and wisdom. That's how they describe the disciple that they chose. And so we are a spirit-filled church. There are different styles of spirit-filled churches, and there's more demonstrative spirit-filled churches. And there are other churches that focus on the Holy Spirit and do it in different ways, and we don't do those things. That does not mean we are not a spirit-filled church. We, wanna, we want the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is always the metric. The filter is always the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the power. It's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the self-control, the long-suffering. That's always. So we want to be led by the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit of God. But we also want to be able to be learning and growing in wisdom, not just in power. Are you with me on that? So let's don't get stuck in the middle. Let's don't get stuck on either side saying, well, it's got to be this or it's got to be that. We want to be spirit-filled and, and, and wise. We'll say wise, right? Let me give you one more. Number five. I said we want to be big and small. I said we want to be young and old. We want to be black and white. We want to be spirit-filled and smart. Let me give you one more. We want to be grace and truth. We want to be grace and truth. I'll be honest with you, being a pastor in this cultural climate uh, sometimes really causes uncertainty and fear to, to you know, the, the staff and the elders can tell you, like, there are seasons where I need them praying for me extra hard. I need you praying for me extra hard because there are times where it's, you're just so afraid and so scared of, of reactions or things based on, you know, what you believe and what you preach and what you say. And I'm not saying that like I'm a martyr. I don't mean it that way at all. I'm just trying to be vulnerable with you and let you know that, like, 
it's never been harder to, to, to try to be consistent in your beliefs, but also not be offensive. And, and sometimes you are and you don't mean to be. And, and so as a church, we have always, this has always been true about our church that we've always tried to be so gracious, grace first and loving and everyone is welcome. But we unapologetically use the Bible as our standard for God's way of life. Unapologetically. But how you, how you act, how you act out what you believe is, is so important. I have, this, I have this opinion, and I don't know, I can't prove it with, with stats, but I have this opinion that most of the people who don't like Christians don't like them because of their tone and their attitude, not their beliefs. That's my theory. I can't prove it. But I want everyone to hear me this morning that at Hope City Church, like, you are welcome. We love you. If you'll give us a chance, I think you'll like us. But our structure of our church and our policies and our procedures in our church are based on our beliefs. And so the front door is wide open, but as a church, we have to build our church on some beliefs. And so we take the beliefs that we have based on the Bible and we build a church on that. And it's okay that you don't agree with us. That's okay. But we don't ever want to be, we don't want our beliefs to ever give us an excuse to treat people poorly, to not treat them with dignity, to be ugly, and definitely not to put God's name on being a jerk. I believe if you meet Jesus, you like him. But they meet us before they meet him. Okay? So we don't apologize for believing like the traditional Christian orthodoxy. It doesn't, you don't look like it sometimes because of the band or the clothes or whatever. We are a really traditional church. We, we believe in the traditional Christian orthodoxy, the traditional Christian sexual ethic. We believe in these things not because... Not, not because we want to be mean or because we want to put up fences that people can't get past, but it's because we believe that they are true based on Jesus, based on the apostles, and based on thousands of years of Christian tradition and orthodoxy. And so we hope that we can bring people in and relationship can bond us together and that truth will move its way into people's hearts. But it's never an excuse. Truth is never an excuse to treat people without dignity or rude or mean. And so I hope that you will give us grace as leaders as we're moving through. And you already have for years and years, those of us who have been together before, you've already done this. But I want you to know that any time and every time we are talking about the Bible or truth, we want, it's my job as your pastor to make sure you know tr what is true and what is false. But we always, we haven't always done it right. I've definitely dropped the ball several, many times. But we always want you to know what's true. But we want you to know it's true in a loving dignified way as best as we can. So let's don't get stuck thinking it's gotta be either or. It's not, it's not either or, it's both and. It's both and, okay? So we wanna be big and small. We wanna be young and old. We wanna be black and white. We wanna be spirit-filled and smart. We wanna be grace and truth. And I just wanted to take, I've gone over my time, but I just wanted to take a little bit of time this morning before we start this new journey together as a church. I wanted to take this time for you to hear my heart. This is a new beginning. We honor the past. We honor the past. But, but this is a new beginning. 
And as we move forward, we, we wanna do this together. Let's don't, let's don't pick sides. Let's don't get siloed off. Let's do it together. Let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's give grace. Let's give love. Let's get, give extra hugs. Let's pray together. In just a moment, we're gonna have communion and prayer and there'll be an opportunity for you to come forward for prayer. Come forward for prayer. Come forward for prayer. Let people pray with you. This is what we do together as a church. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us. I could not be more excited about the future of this church. I could not be more excited about the families that I'm getting to know or that I will soon get to know. Those of you who are coming over from Harvest, I want you to know that as excited as I was to potentially move into this building, I was more excited about the opportunity to be your pastor and for you to be a part of our church. And you don't have to believe that. You don't have to believe that, but I'm telling you it's true. I'm just crazy enough to believe that God could bring these two churches together and do something really significant on this side of town, okay? Uh, I'm gonna pray for us. They're gonna bring some tables out for communion. You do not have to take communion if you feel uncomfortable with that. But for those of us who would like to, we're figuring it out in the new space. So be, be gracious towards us. We're gonna put some tables up here, space them out. You can come forward and we'll get a traffic flow. We'll figure it out. But you know, even as you're taking communion today, when you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, you have an opportunity, even in the act of communion, to not get stuck on a side of either or a dumb dichotomy that you can take the bread and you can dip it in the juice and you can remember that you are saved but also struggling. You are a Christian, but you are also doubting. There are all kinds of things about you that are true, but the only things that matter for God is the faith in Jesus Christ, that when he looks at you, you get credit for the life of Jesus because your faith is in him. So even as you take that bread and you dip it in that juice, you can remember there's this tension that I live with. I'm not gonna give in to one side or the other. There's a tension I live with that I, I'm, I'm doubting, but I have faith. I'm struggling, but I am saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your body and your blood that helps remind me today that you love me and you gave your life for me, okay? So let's pray and then we'll take communion and prayer and uh, they'll lead us in some worship together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that um, you sent your son so that I did not have to strive and wrestle my way towards some type of good credit to get something that I could never attain. But God, you sent Jesus so that all the work would be done for me and all that I would have to do is put my faith and belief in the cross of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this church would always be about Jesus. I pray we'd be people who are more like Jesus. I pray people who come to this church as visitors would feel the presence of Jesus. We'd never lose sight of what it's all about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.